Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome back to Freeze World. Guess you'll be seeing me in my natural habitat today. The Braves bullpen. Here it is. This is why they pay me the big bucks. I'm going to show you why today. That should do. Nice hop for Pendleton. Braves win. There are two Marvin Freemans. One is always laughing and joking around. The other, which appears only on the day he pitches, is unapproachable. Ground ball up the middle, base hit in the center. Freeman picks up his first hit. I think that's his first major league hit. Gives him one for seven this year. They're going to get the baseball. Tony Taylor already asking for it over there at first base. Marvin Freeman, hard to say which is quicker, his fastball or his wit. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Marvin could have his own HBO comedy special. Hard to say what's more entertaining, Marvin on the mound or Marvin on a comedy stage. Hit and run Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. to noon on 670 The Score. Welcome back into Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Matt Spiegel is who you are with. For the next hour and change, Cubs pregame coming up at 11:10. Here's how you can date that material in that produced open right there as we welcome in Marvin Freeman on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. <laughs> it sounded a little bit um, staticky, just a little. But the fact that they're talking about an HBO comedy special, that would be a Netflix comedy special these days is what that <laughs> conversation would be. Welcome in, Marvin. How you doing this morning? I'm doing lovely, man. That was a tremendous introduction that I just listened to. And it just really says everything that you want to know about Marvin Freeman. Well, now I want to know more, which is why we're going to talk. <laughs> and, and we're going to talk some pitching as well, because Marvin teaches pitching um, and some of the wisdom that I've seen you share on your Twitter account and, and other places is, is stuff that uh, is stuff that big leaguers can still learn from and are still actively learning from. But but take me back because you're a Chicagoan. And I know you finished with the White Sox with one game in 1996. Your last game in the big leagues was with the White Sox. But take me back to the beginning. Chicago Vocational Academy for high school. Right, Marvin? Yes, indeed. It was CVS then, Chicago Vocational School on the south side of Chicago is where I cut my baseball teeth, and um, that's where the legend began. <laughs> um, and, and when did you fall in love with baseball on the south side? When and how did that happen for you? Well, you know, actually, um, I know this is a Cubs um, net, uh, radio okay. network, and um, so, I've yeah. been a Southsider growing up on the South Side, and I've been an undercover Cubs fan growing up as a kid, um, you know, watching WGN and having a chance to come home every day at 3.15 and catch the last two or three innings with either Lee Smith or Bruce Souter on the mound. And, um, you know, that, that was really where I fell in love with the game. Um, we didn't have a lot of, uh, I would say, Little League opportunities growing up, so we – play stickball we play strikeout we spray painted boxes on the school wall and it was a one-on-one show and either you can pitch or you can hit and I was always the one that wanted to pitch all the time so I, I kind of fell in love with the uh, position by watching baseball growing up you know early on the south side of Chicago 
Wow, that's awesome. I've actually talked to Latroy Hawkins before, who had the similar story in terms of coming home and seeing those games just in time for Lee Smith. We don't. Yes, sir. Yeah, we we don't. <laughs> he doesn't get enough due in terms of. Uh, uh, just the influence that he had. I mean, we talk about the lack of, of African-American players now in baseball. It would have been even less um, if, if it weren't for guys like Lee Smith inspiring a young Latroy and a young Marvin Freeman, huh? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, re- I remember I was pitching a game. Um, I was on the Braves, and I came in for relief, and I'm actually in the game, and I looked down when Lee, we were playing the Cardinals, and Lee Smith was warming up in the bullpen you know, for the Cardinals getting ready to come in. And I'm on the mound, and I got hitters up there with the game on the line, and all I'm thinking about is, oh, man, me and Lee Smith are going to pitch in the same game. So it was um, it was kind of surreal, but it was very exciting to see him and Fergie Jenkins when he was the Cubs pitching coach over in that dugout, guys that I just was glued to the TV watching as a young kid growing up and actually having a chance to be on the same field with them was tremendous. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, and, and now a lot of uh, organizations, the Players Alliance, which is a, a great thing. I talked to Tony Gwynn Jr. last week on the show about the Players Alliance. Chicago's Curtis Granderson, very active. Jason Hayward, very active in terms of trying to, um, to, to get this game, to keep, it, to keep it active and to keep it a possibility for young African-American communities. What, 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 what are your thoughts on the best ways to do that these days, Marvin? Because this is a, baseball should be looked at as a, as a great possibility. That baseball money is real. And there are a lot more baseball jobs than there are NBA jobs and, and NFL jobs. Yeah, and um, even on my end, what I, what I try to do to grow the game is keep the interest of the position as pitcher as as highly um, placed as possible because you don't see a lot of African-American pitchers in, in Little League or, or um, college, definitely not in college, and, and even in minor league baseball. And um, I try to really get to that point to where when they become 13, 14, that's where you see the biggest drop-off. I try to catch them at 12 and develop them and just give them a, a sense of confidence so that they can continue to work and grow at this position. Um, I, my foundation, uh, Marvin Freeman Youth Foundation, was founded on that mere fact that a lot of these kids can't get that off-season instruction, so we do it for free down here um, for certain selected groups that have, you know that qualify for that um, actual winter training program that we do. And mm-hmm. um, we just try and keep the interest up because, you know, when you're out there playing, it's really not what color you are. It's how you're going to be able to perform and how you're going to be able to execute. And you can't go out there without confidence. And that's what we try to instill, a mentorship and and, and a, a ability to learn how to actually play the position of pitcher, understanding your mechanics and doing things that's going to help you grow as a pitcher as you continue to you know get older and stronger in this game. So just my little part of helping – it's all we can, all I can do, and everybody needs to play and play their own role and, and have just a small part in trying to make a difference because if everybody chips in a little bit, it'll be a big return on the back end. So you do what you can as an individual and, and hope that um, you can get others to join on and, and, and join your uh, movement, and, and those things build up and, and they add up in the long run. Marvin Freeman Youth Foundation.org is the website, and I will tweet out that information when we are uh, uh, done here talking. Uh, Marvin, it's 670 the score. It's hit and run. You're listening to a little White Sox news. They've called up Dane Dunning. Gio Gonzalez has been put on the injured list retroactive to the 27th of August. So Dane Dunning will get the start um, tonight. Um, t- what do you what do you teach those kids about pitching? What what are some of the lessons about pitching? That you, as a guy who who pitched in the bigs for a long time, had a had a solid career in Major League Baseball, uh, pitching from 1986 until 1996. What are some of the things that you still try to teach guys, Marvin? Well, the main thing, and, and what I see today is everybody wants to throw harder. Um, I tell kids I threw low, middle 90s, and everybody wants to throw harder in. So that's not going to change. What has to be taught is the fact that every big league hitter can hit a fastball down the middle. That's, that's why those guys are there. 
So um, hitting is about timing. I try to teach the disruption or destroying of that timing with secondary pitches that become primary pitches. Um, No pitch is a secondary pitch when you have confidence in it. So I try to make sure that guys have a three-pitch mix at the minimum and are able to command those pitches on both sides of the plate. And if they can do that, they can succeed at any level. Now, if you add a 95-mile-an-hour fastball with it, then you're talking about starting getting the paychecks and stuff for that. So that's what I try and teach, a good, solid foundation so that they can get in position to command the strike zone on both sides of the plate. Disruption of timing. That's that's the thing, man. I, I, I love hearing guys who know talk pitching. It's it's so much fun. That goes back to Warren Spahn, the old the old brave, right? Pitching oh, yeah, is- no doubt. I mean, even even um, far before him, um, mm-hmm. hitters always want to swing when they think the ball is going to be at the bat. And you got to try and, you know, mix that up a little bit. I've tried it both ways. I mean, look, I, when I came up with the Phillies, I thought I was going to be the next Doc Gooden. I was going four-seam fastball and 12-6 curve, and the hitters were going 380 and 390 to dead center. So I was like, I got to change this. <laughs> and I started getting a little bit lower in my arm slot, adding a little bit more sink, took my overhand curve and, and converted it into a shorter, quicker slider, added a change up to, you know, offset that timing. And, th- and those things, um, they, they, they always work when you're doing them right. And when you get away from that, then you, you get, you know, into situations where hitters become, you know, hitters can predict what you're throwing when you're behind in the count. So just pitching ahead and changing speeds is never going to go out of style. And Marvin, you tweeted one of the coolest things I've seen in a while, and I shared it this morning, this 1985 Baseball America cutout. I'm so glad you kept this. (laughs) (laughs) And and shows you with the best fastball in the Eastern League when you're at Reading in the Phillies system. And some of the names on here, there's Kenny Williams, the fastest base runner in the Eastern (laughs) League. Sam Horn and Corey Snyder, the best hitters yep. in the Eastern League. I could read every one of these names. Jose Rio, our our buddy Jim Deshays, the best pitching yep. prospect in the International League. Eric Davis, Billy Hatcher, Jose Canseco. This is this is gold for baseball fans of a certain era. So yeah, no wonder you thought you were gonna be the next Doc Gooden. You had the best fastball in the Eastern League in 1985. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. I had like a 6.75 ERA because that's all I had. When I um, when they sent me down, I said, "Hey, something's got to change, or I'm gonna be done." So I really went to the, the the school of pitching and just really tried to pay more attention to what guys that were successful, what formula that they use, and it all boiled back to the same thing. They got ahead, they changed speeds, and they got their breaking balls over the plate whenever they wanted to, and that, you know, again, when you can keep a hitter off your fastball, it's only going to make your fastball faster. So everything that these guys are searching for, it's within themselves. They just have to understand the order that it needs to be put in. And, you know, that's, that's what I try and relate to these kids. So Marvin Freeman, I remember them calling you Starvin' Marvin. Now, you did not seem... Yeah. You did not seem super thin by the time you got to the bigs, but I, early on... What, what was – were you 6'6", 180? Is that true at one point, Marvin? Yeah, yeah. Um, 180 is with um, a wet T-shirt and a soaking wet pants on as well. So, I mean, I was still growing. When I came out of high school, I was 6'4". Hmm. I was 6'6". When I came out of college, I was 6'7". When I got into the big leagues. Um, so, I was still stretching. I, they could have changed my name to Stretch Armstrong. You know, and and just to illustrate how my body was changing. But um, as soon as I grad, as soon as I signed out of college, I got married, and you know the wife fattened me up really good and got me ready for the big leagues. There you go. Did you see this kid debut last week by any chance for Cleveland? Tristan McKenzie, young African American oh, kid. I did. He- I actually posted him on my um, Instagram, and um, you know it, it, it conjured up old pictures of me when I signed and I was um, like looking just, I might've been looking thinner than he was because I was a little bit taller, but it just reminded me of me when I came up uh, same age, 
getting a chance to go out there and live your dream, it, it was just a tremendous experience for him, and I'm sure his family really um, enjoyed it. I just wish it could have been a stadium full of fans oh. so he could have got the real sense of what it felt like to, to actually be in that type of environment. And um, I, that's the one thing about these cutouts that a lot of these young rookies aren't going to be able to experience what it's really like to get out there with 50,000 people screaming. And if you're at home, they're cheering for you. And it's just something that sends chills up your spine. Yeah. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, 6'5", 165. They call him Dr. Oh, Sticks. No. Yeah. Oh, no. I was bigger than him, man. I was, I was, <laughs> I was a muscle guy compared to that. <laughs> yes. He was, he was thick. Uh, as thick and strong was Marvin Freeman. M- Marvin, um, I-, I saw that you put yourself on a cardboard cutout down in Atlanta. I thought that was well done. <laughs> was, yeah, the Rockies. It was the Rockies. Oh, it was the Rockies. You know, Excuse the, me. The Rockies put a cardboard cutout of um, – Guys that they had, um, I guess they were advertising, selling those cutouts in the um, bleachers. And I was like, wait a minute. I still got the record for the lowest ERA in team history. I can't get a cutout. Let me go ahead and throw myself on one. So, you know, with with, um, my um, savvy with the social media and the, um, you know, um, making my own memes and stuff like that, I, I, I can Photoshop pretty much the best with the best of them. Yeah, that's a 2.80 ERA in 1994. Where's the respect, Colorado? Fourth in the Cy Young Award voting for Marvin Freeman. He started 18 games, went 10 and 2. That's how were you good in that good in Colorado? That's the best starting year of your life, and in Colorado of all places. How? Hey, you know it was. Um, I guess all the stars had lined up. Um, when I had just left Atlanta the previous year, I, I wanted to reestablished myself as a starting pitcher and they gave me an opportunity. And every time out, I was like, you know, let me try and just give them six or seven innings and just turn it over to the bullpen. So that approach in itself took a lot of pressure off me and thinking about thinking too far ahead and just focusing on what I was trying to do that day and prepare for the next start. That was my um, mentality going into the um, 94 season. And it, you know, it panned out pretty well. Plus, I was um, I had a plan at pitching at um, Mile High Stadium was a little different from Coors Field because at Mile High Stadium you got a gigantic gap in right center that you can pitch to, hmm. as Coors Field is more of a, a trampoline effect, launching pad. Wherever you hit it is going out, so you know you can you had some leeway if you can command and and make hitters do things that you try to get them to do, like have righties hit the ball the other way or keep the ball in on lefties, um, you had a better chance of survival because I think it was like 290 down the left field line. So they were bunting balls out of the ballpark then. They used to call Marvin Freeman Clubhouse WD-40. I guess maybe you called yourself that. The the, the, <laughs> the, the lubricant. When it's tight around here, I'd like to draw attention to myself. Maybe that'll help some of the other guys relax. That's that's important stuff uh, in, a, in a clubhouse still to this day. I, I'm looking at that that Colorado Rockies team. There's Dante Bichette. How about how about all these kids? Bo Bichette is an emerging star in the American League, yeah. playing on a team with Kevin Biggio and Vlad Jr. It's it's crazy. We're getting old, Marvin. Yeah, no man. I saw a um, one of the Braves um, players, um, um, Dan Unroll's son, or I think that's his name. I know his last name is Unroll. He was playing in spring training with the Braves, and I was like, hey. I had a video of me drilling his dad. Let me send that to him on Twitter and apologize for that, what happened back in 1994. So it was funny. Uh, you know, I was like, all these guys' sons are up now. I can get, you know, Rob Booker's son, the sh- guy plays shortstop for us in Philly. His son just hit me up. He's coaching, you know, youth baseball now. So all these guys are like 28, 30 years old. I'm going, oh, my God. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Hey, Marvin, this was really fun to get to know you a little bit and talk to you here on The Score. Let's do it again sometime and uh, and be well. I appreciate it. And and the stuff that you learned coming up, that your heater wasn't going to be enough. You had to learn timing and you adapted as you went. And all, it's all it's all still exactly how guys learn. I, I feel like I talk about that stuff every week about current players in the game. It, it hasn't changed in that way, has it? It won't change um, as long as it's 60 feet, 6 inches. And hitters are up there trying to kill your fastball. There is a way around that if you know how to change speeds and set them up. 
with those change of speed. So as long as guys can pitch, they'll be around, but you know, they'll keep shuffling guys in as much as they can because there's millions of guys that want to give it a shot, but the ones that's going to stick around are going to be the guys that learns how to pitch. Marvin, a pleasure. Thanks so much. You're welcome, man. I wish you had to put my home run, that my three-run homer up that I hit against the Cubs, too. Um, but I'll, I'll put that on Twitter for you guys. <laughs> please, please do. Please do. And and next time, we'll we'll just play that over and over again. We'll play it on the way in. We'll play it on the way out. You know, play it once in go. the middle, too. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I, I, um, anytime. All right, you got it. Thank you. That's Marvin Freeman. Chicagoan, Chicago vocational school. And I'm telling you that it, I just realized it was the same conversation I had with Latroy Hawkins coming home at the end of school, getting home sometimes just in time to turn on WGN and see Big Lee Smith get into the game. And that made them want to be pitchers. So, you know, the more, uh, the more like you that you see, the more you may try and do it. It's uh, pretty much common sense. Marvin Freeman Youth Foundation dot org is the website that's a great idea from sean anderson the phenom it is 670 the score it's hit and run uh cub pregame coming up at 11:10. white Sox playing at 110 uh, this afternoon so both teams with afternoon tilts and we will talk about those lineups which are out um i actually is the white Sox lineup out i know the cubs lineup is out so we'll talk about those and I've saved your text, and we'll take some more at 312-644-6767. How would you feel if you're a White Sox fan and they do not add a starting pitcher here at the deadline, knowing what the the, ask, the asking price would be? Craig Kimbrell conversation. You'll hear the Jose Abreu good comp, bad comp, too, before we get out of here on 670 The Score. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake-me-when-the-sun-set summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Got clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score. We've got lineups for both teams' ball games coming up in a little bit. And um, we'll get to that in a, in a matter of moments. A um, little follow-up on some of the conversation we've been having uh, via text. This texter, Lee in Bridgeport. Enjoyed hearing Marvin Freeman said that was a great interview, great message for kids, guys. Thank you. Um, yeah, really enjoyed that. He said, uh, a texter also says, Marvin had a low ERA that year because he always threw a splitter in his contract years. Hmm, interesting. Goalie Dad says, I'd be fine with the Sox not making a move. I think Dunning can fill the void. Not willing to give up Dunning or Jonathan Stever, certainly not Andrew Vaughn, would have to give up far too much for a short period of time with no guarantees there are seriously no guarantees like if you're going for a rental and there's some, some of the guys that i have seen the white Sox associated with robbie ray are you kidding me robbie ray is brutal this year and he's a rental no i, I mean that that is just i would absolutely rather see dane dunning every time out than robbie ray 100 percent Gio Gonzalez just going on the injured list, retroactive to the 27th. That's not great, so maybe there will really have to be a move just to get an arm here. Nate Eovaldi on the injured list for the Red Sox, so he's out. Uh, Bauer and Anthony Disclafani of the Reds are out because the Reds say they're going for it. Taiwan Walker had shown some promise for Seattle, but Toronto just grabbed him, so he's out. 
The Padres traded for the reliever Trevor Rosenthal from Kansas City. So trades are indeed happening. And the Padres just made another move uh, for Mitch Moreland, the power-hitting first baseman and DH possibility, because everybody's got a DH now, from the Red Sox. So they add a bat to uh, do the Padres. So deals are happening. Uh, I want you to hear from the two GMs in town as they talked about the trades. This will give you some insight. First, let's hear from Theo Epstein about the finances of trades because the financial situation, very weird this year with no fans, with no uh, guarantee for any postseason fans, obviously. And like money is so crazy, weirdly, oddly tight that um, you've seen how some of these deals have worked where like the Red Sox had to send money to the Phillies along with Brandon Workman and Heath Hembry. Anyway, here's Theo earlier in the week about about the financial situation influencing trades. I just think we're just going to have to see, you know, what the individual transactions look like and kind of have have the have those conversations at the time, but it's it's a unique one, you know, that the 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 financial picture is not great. Anytime revenues are are slashed to the extent they are, that means there are losses and that means unfortunately um, we're having to potentially cut in, in, in other areas that, that also, you know, um, hit very close to home and are painful. So, you know, how, how we, we weigh all those things is, is, is not easy. And it's not something that I can give a blanket answer to and not something that I can share. And it'll, it'll involve conversations, I think, right up to the point of when we have to decide on a transaction and probably right up to the deadline itself. So, I don't really have a an, you know a solid answer for you guys to the direct question. And that's uh, how finances are affecting the trades. Like each individual move is 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 dissected with this in mind. And uh, you know the White Sox willingness to pay three hundred and thirty grand in salary for Jared Dyson is is impressive in some ways. And what is that for? That is for a guy who should not be a starter. And he's not a starter in today's lineup. That's good. He should not. He should be an emergency starter, really only. He should be a defensive replacement and a base runner. And and what is the value of that? Frankly, spending $330,000 on that 28th man or 26th man um, as the rosters uh, go down is, is, is a surprise. So maybe there is a willingness from the White Sox to actually eat some money and do uh, do some buying here. And what is a buyer's market if you're willing to eat some money? Here is that White Sox lineup, by the way. Tim Anderson, absolutely on fire, is your shortstop and leadoff hitter. Eloy Jimenez stays there in the two-hole. By the way, I saw, was it Fegan who had the, yeah, it was James Fegan at The Athletic, had Jared Dyson's sprint speed right now. It's... Um, you think of him obviously as a speedster, and he's still he's still very efficient stealing bases. But right now his sprint speed is virtually the same as Eloy Jimenez, which is hard to it's hard to make that jibe in your head. Really, it's hard to make those things fit together. But that apparently is the truth right now, according to Fegan. I'll take his word for it. Eloy bats second, Yasmani Grandal third, Abreu fourth, James McCann is your catcher. Grandal is at first and Abreu DHs as they shuffle those kind of things around. Robert moves up to six. Luis Robert. Danny Mendick plays third for Yoan Moncada. Uh, Adam Engel in right field today. And Nick Madrigal at second and Dane Dunning is your starter. So Yoan Moncada taken out for a persistent leg issue yesterday and he is day to day is Yuan Moncada. Here is your Cubs lineup with pregame coming up at 11:10 with our man Zach Zaidman. Ian Happ in center continues to roll. Big day yesterday for Happ. A leadoff home run that was barely fair. Uh, a double down the left field line later to spark that rally. That was in the sixth yesterday of game two that eventually led to the run scoring and what should have been more. And a walk yesterday, too. Ian Happen center. Rizzo at first. Baez at short. Schwarber in left. Contreras, Hayward, Kipnis, Bodie, Nico Horner at second base. David Bodie at third base. Uh, Ian Happ has now led off 14 times this year. This will be the 15th. And 
when Chris Bryant comes back, I think you leave Ian Happ right there, don't you? Uh, also, just to, she's brought up Chris Bryant. This is from Mark Gonzalez, who I think is from David Ross, who's speaking right now. Uh, Bryant to South Bend on Monday for live ABs. Okay, good. So he already did that once, though. He did that once. He had five ABs on Friday. So Monday. Okay, so Monday will be a little bit more. Um, Dane Dunning tonight, Tyler Chatwood or today. I keep saying tonight. Dane Dunning today, Tyler Chatwood today for the Cubs. One would think with uh, Jose Quintana being available as a backup. Are you guys hip to this? This is a very weird thing impacting the trade deadline that I wanted to share with you. It's hit and run here on 670 The Score. That there are no pro scouts allowed at big league stadiums nor the alternate sites, which are, you know, basically the minors this year. There are no pro scouts. They've snuck into stadiums on at least two different occasions. (laughs) Pro scouts have. But this was in the athletic, excuse me, earlier in the week that there is a data sharing uh, agreement that some clubs have elected to do. MLB created a network and allowed clubs to opt in, sharing footage from their alternate sites as a way to facilitate trades without scouts getting to have a live look uh, or any minor league games whatsoever. So most teams signed up for the data sharing. Those who did not the Rockies, the Brewers, the Padres, the Rangers, the White Sox, the Nationals, the Braves are among the teams not participating. Among those teams, the Padres have gone for it, have made a couple deals. The White Sox have already made one deal. They don't want people to see what's going on there in Schaumburg. That's very, very interesting. The, the Blue Jays, as I mentioned, added Taiwan Walker. So... Some teams have been active. We've heard rumors about Cameron Mabin between the Cubs and the Tigers, stuff like that. But the fact that teams have chosen whether to opt in or opt out of the data sharing and how that can inform the possibilities here at the trade deadline, it just continues to be such a weird, weird year. It's just one of the strangest years in baseball for any of us. Want to bring you a couple pieces of tape when we come back. A comp for Jose Abreu. And um, and a sad truth, a sad truth about a way that people are going to be learning a life history. And it's it's got me thinking because of the tragic loss of, uh, of the man who, who starred in the film. We'll talk about that next as well. This segment on The Score is brought to you by Valparaiso University. We all want to be part of something bigger. At Valparaiso University, you can be part of something bigger without losing yourself in the crowd, and you'll discover that making the world a better place isn't wishful thinking. Visit valpo.edu to request information, apply, or schedule a visit. Back with more on Hit and Run next on 670 The Score. Things say all they want. We're just here to play ball. It's just a bunch of crackpots still fighting the Civil War. Well, hell, we'd have won that son of a gun if the corn stalks would have held out. We just ran out of ammunition. Better look next time, Pee-wee. Ain't gonna be a next time, Jax. All we got's right here. Thank you, Jax. What are you thanking me for? I got family out there from Louisville. I need them to know. I need them to know who I am. Playing ball, up. Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. Oh, that's good. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42, as MLB players have been wearing all weekend long in honor of Jackie Robinson. Yesterday, seeing all those 42s out there, pretty cool. And oddly sad in an extra way, extra couple ways really this week because of the goings on this week, obviously, and the decisions of, of many MLB players to sit and a few teams not to play. Yesterday's A's and Astros game was played. Friday's was not as they sat that one out. 
in a show of unity. By the way, those two teams not playing today because of a COVID test, a positive COVID test for Oakland. But that news broke early in the nine o'clock hour. But the other reason that the uh, Jackie Robinson seeing all the 42s out there is sad is because Chadwick Boseman died. And that is the actor who portrayed Jackie Robinson in 42, as well as the star of Black Panther. Um, James Brown played, uh, played James Brown in Get On Up, played Thurgood Marshall recently in a biopic, and apparently was struggling for four years with colon cancer privately, had not told many people. And there have been a staggering amount of clips that have come out of him talking emotionally about kids with cancer um, and how he was empathizing, but none of us really actually knew why. None of us knew how hard it was. There's a clip about him talking about getting in shape for a Marvel movie after he had done a Marvel movie and then lost weight and then had to get in shape again. And he said, you have no idea. And no, we did not have an idea. And Chadwick Boseman uh, tragically passed away this weekend. But I realized that that film, 42, and his performance, which is excellent. He's excellent in that that film. And the film is not, it's not, you know, brilliant. It's not an all-timer. But it is historically accurate. And it is pretty darn solid. And if it's a little bit over-emotional, okay. If it simplifies things a little bit too much, okay. But it is mostly historically accurate, as I said. And that's going to be the way that, you know, thousands and thousands of young baseball fans are going to learn the story of Jackie Robinson. Maybe some will watch a documentary. Maybe some will do some reading and hear uh, folks talk about Jackie. But that movie... The movie actually, I think it's going to stand up pretty well and stands up pretty well as I've been thinking about it these last couple of days. Here's Chadwick Boseman at the time of the movie's release talking to Bob Costas from the Major League Baseball Network about the responsibility of portraying Jackie Robinson. Well, the thing that, uh, that, I, that set in once I had a week of, you know, celebrating that I got the role at first, you know, there's an exhilaration and, and I had to keep it quiet. But it set in during that time that, you know, children would know Jackie Robinson from my performance. When Thomas Toll talks about why he wanted to do the film, he says that um, he was doing a, a, an event with some kids with uh, King Griffey Jr. And they brought up Jackie Robinson and they didn't know who he was. And uh, King Griffey turns to him and says, you know, we have to do something about that. So that's part of what made this happen, uh, you know, from the, the production standpoint. And so that set in for me that now I'm responsible for being the face of that and, and portraying, you know, all of the, the characteristics and the qualities and principles that the man lived under. And I also knew that there were a lot of people who viewed him as a hero that know him very well and they would be let down if I didn't live up to, to those expectations. But I also knew that the family, um, I had a responsibility to them because they were carrying on his legacy. And, um, and I knew that Rachel Robinson had been carrying the torch for this film, you know, for a long time. So, you know, I, I definitely felt that weight um, and, and really just concentrated on the family as just pleasing them. If, if there's anybody you should seek approval from, it's from them. It's Chadwick Boseman talking about the seriousness with which he took playing Jackie Robinson and did a great job in it. And that, that film is going to be the way that uh, a lot of people learn the story. You know, the only things, things that are not in there, just his, his toughness, his like irascibility, I guess there's moments of it in there. And Sean, you can hop in if you remember from watching it, but it's like, Branch Rickey chose Jackie Robinson because he was kind of a hard ass. That that was a big part of why he chose him because there were other guys, whether it was Don Newcomb or Roy Campanella, um, but they knew they needed somebody who was was going to be able to to deal with all the crap. And and Campy had a reputation for being a little soft, and Jackie did not. So that kind of edge, or like the edge of Rachel Robinson, who's kind of, 
you know, got, got real soft edges in the movie, that kind of stuff. Um, so, but I guess that's the homogenization. It's the sort of Disneyization of a, of a story on that level. Yeah, and our guy Doug Glanville was on Friday with Molly and Hall, and he talked about uh, just Jackie in general, less you know, about the film. And he was talking about how quiet Jackie was when he was playing. And then immediately once he left and once he was out of baseball, he started, you know, doing all of this social change. He was yep. uh, great in starting up banks uh, in, in uh, you know, black communities and, and trying to get black wealth, uh, you know, growing. And I, I think that was, you know, exactly what we're talking about was Jackie just wanted to go and prove that he can do his job. And, and, and Jackie just wanted to prove that he belonged there to people who didn't think he belonged there. And, and, and you talk about strength. And I mean, that's exactly what Jackie Robinson Day is all about. And I think Chadwick Boseman, too, because you even look at the, the Black Panther character and how much that resonates. Uh, we talked about, you know, with Marvin Freeman, Lee Smith, seeing representation, seeing yes. a black superhero like Black Panther and how much money that brought in and how it resonated all over the world with people. I mean, that's just the, the strength that I think Chadwick Boseman possessed enough to play Jackie Robinson. And obviously Jackie's strength is just going to be, uh, you know, covered in baseball history uh, just because of his strength and, and what he did for the sport. We have a trade. You're listening to Hit and Run on 670 The Score. The trade deadline is tomorrow at 3 p.m. Central Time. And we have a trade, and it's a big, strong, right-handed bat going to the Cubs from the Tampa Bay Rays. It is Jose Martinez. And that's that's really, really interesting. Um <clears throat> Jose Martinez, it, and you will remember Jose Martinez. You've seen him uh, playing for the Cardinals, Jose Martinez. And is a guy who went down to Tampa in the trade uh, that they made for a big-time pitching prospect um, for Matthew Liberatore. That's who it was. So uh, Jose Martinez with Randy Rosarina um, for Matthew Liberatore. Um, just in January of this year. Now, Jose Martinez is a member of the Cubs. You know what? If last night's at bat by Albert Almora in the sixth inning with first and third and one out of a one-run game where they'd come all the way back and taken a lead from 4-1 to 5-4, and then Albert Almora struck out, if, if that is enough to drive you over the edge and say, okay, fine, all right, we need to do this. Let's, let's go get a ready bat. Well, they went and did. Jose Martinez can play right field. He can play first base. He's a huge man. 6'6", 215 is Jose Martinez. His best year in baseball as a member of the Cardinals statistically was a half season in 2017 with an OPS approaching 900, 14 homers and 46 ribs. 2018 with the Cardinals, OPS of 821 with... Um, 17 homers and 83 ribs. And I thought they were going to build around him. He's 31 years old now, has played in 24 games for Tampa this year overall. And let's take a look at the splits. Versus left-handed pitchers, it is a slightly better OPS of 718. It's not great. Has not played a whole bunch. Really only 38 plate appearances against lefties, 38 plate appearances against righties. In his, uh, in, in his games this year. But that is a big, strong man with a serious power stroke. And there, there have been moments over the past couple years where I've looked at him and thought, whew, that is a dude who's going to blossom in a big, big way. I think I've drafted him in fantasy leagues as well, Jose Martinez. Does strike out a lot. Have you seen a lot of strikeouts? Yeah. He does strike out an awful lot. Um... Looking at his strikeout numbers, 104 in 590 plate appearances in 2018. It's actually not bad, considering. Let's look up the K rate and see where he is in K rate. To just add on, too, I didn't know that he signed with the White Sox back in February of 2006. Oh, I, my God, I, don't, I, I didn't remember that either, that it goes back that far. Yeah, from 2006 to 2014, he played with the White Sox and Braves organization. He also spent time with the Rockford Aviators in the Frontier League, an independent league in 2014, and then obviously uh, signed with the Royals and then made it all the way back up to uh, the, the, the cards. Two players to be named later, coming from the Cubs to the Tampa Rays, um, and it does not say cash. 
designated hitter, two players to be named later, headed back to Tampa Bay. So we'll see what kind of prospects those are that Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer will be able to do. But they've added, here we are. So the White Sox have added small with Jared Dyson. Hop on in if you want to talk about the trade deadline as the Cubs and Sox are active and there are rumors percolating like crazy. Looks like it is going to be an active trade deadline, people. I don't know about big, big names, but small names? Yeah. Here's the thing about Jose Martinez, too. 312-644-6767 if you want to hop on in. That is the number both to call us and to text us. The text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. Jose Martinez has... Uh, is signed through the end of this season. He is arbitration eligible again for 2021 and for 2022. He's not a free agent until 2023. So this this is a guy, so for two players to be named later, and we'll have to see who they are, this is a guy who could be part of the outfield mix for a little while. They've needed a right-handed bat because Steven Souza Jr. has not been healthy, and Albert Almora just, he just can't hit. He just can't hit. We'll see what the accompanying roster roster move is for Jose Martinez up to the bigs right now. Uh, is an Albert Almora DFA out of the question? I, I don't think so. I don't think that's out of the question. 312-644-6767. Martinez, a career 153 weighted runs created plus versus lefties. That's from Jim in Lockport. That's pretty strong. That will work. That will play. Other rumors that we're seeing flying around on Twitter uh, right now is that Lance Lynn, according to John Paul Morosi, looks very likely to be traded by this time tomorrow. Very, very likely to be traded. Lance Lynn. You talk about big names, too. This is from uh, Mark Feinstein. Uh, Francisco Lindor's name has been mentioned in some preliminary trade talks per source. There is no indication the Indians are planning to move him, but the possibility still exists. See, here's the thing. If this were a normal season and this were the July 31st deadline we'd be talking about, this deadline was going to be bananas with every one of the pending free agents of the next year or two big name Cubs in play, even if they were in position to go for it. Because you'd be looking at them thinking about maybe a Bryant deal for somebody who can replace him and be more affordable for the next four or five years in addition to restocking the farm system. All those kind of things would be on the table. Lindor was almost an assurance to get traded this year at the deadline if it were a normal season. But right now, could they? Would they? I mean, seriously. Look where the Indians are. The Indians are, are going to make the playoffs. The Indians have the best starting pitching in all of baseball. The Indians are alone in first place in the American League Central. Can you really, to your fan base, sell a Francisco Lindor trade? Well, you don't really need them to show up. You're not really selling them on still coming to the ballpark because nobody's coming to the ballpark. That's why like every normal factor surrounding the trade deadline <clears throat> is just super, super strange this year. It is effective in a, in a very different way. It, it, everything gets magnified and, and, and kind of amplified and adjusted in a different way. It's very, very weird. So Jose Martinez will come to the Cubs. Zach Saban will have more on that as we uh, get ready to hand it over to Cubs pregame. But we've got time to take your phone calls and texts at 312 644-67-67. Yesterday, the Cubs doubleheader, um, you Darvish was brilliant again in the first game, doing everything he needed to do to lock that down and winning what will be looked back on very possibly as a Cy Young Award confrontation with Trevor Bauer. Those two guys and Jacob deGrom, the best starting pitchers in the National League. And put that one in your back pocket if Bauer and Darvish are up there in the top. And even with DeGrom, writers will have a way of remembering that Darvish and Bauer faced each other and Darvish got the best of them. So he was brilliant. Then the stories in the nightcap were plentiful, just all over the place. Anthony Rizzo stayed hot. Two homers yesterday in game one. Doubles to in his first appearance in game two. In his second time up in game two, TJ Antone throws it high and tight 
on Anthony Rizzo. Really, actually, not high and tight is, is an understatement. He threw it over the head of Anthony Rizzo. And Average sparked- miss in, on, in, the, yeah. in the MLB is like 17 inches. Yeah, that, that's T.J. Antone, who came armed with that information, which we can't fact check. As far as we know, uh, I, I don't know if – where does he get that? He comes armed with that in postgame, ready to defend himself and say it's not intentional. I think it was clearly intentional because there was more going on before that. T.J. Antone is a grunter when he pitches, and the Cubs, a very loud, chatty bunch who likes to chirp an awful lot. T.J. Antone said they're known as one of the most chirpy teams from the dugout in baseball. Okay, we'll deal with that, young man. You're a rookie. Welcome to the bigs. Okay, so they're going to chirp. So they're going to make fun of you when you grunt a lot. So be it. You're a big league pitcher. Deal with it. Don't throw at somebody's head because you're upset that a team is grunting at you when you're a grunter. It's the bigs, man. My goodness. So he throws at Anthony Rizzo and then pretends he doesn't. Looks down at his hand right away like, oh, hey, that one got away. That one got away. And then talked about it and, you know, weaseled his way around it, frankly, in conversation in the postgame. Rizzo took the high road, said it got away. Ross was upset about some of the talking that was going on before that. This led to a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of ejections that that colored the game and colored the baseball day and the experience for a lot of people. Then, oh, by the way, the Cubs came back from a 4-1 deficit, took a lead. Rowan Wick was given the sixth, and Craig Kimbrell was given the seventh. And that is the final... The uh, the final uh, so far of the 10 performances of Craig Kimbrell's season and Craig Kimbrell was bad. No command whatsoever. Could not find the plate walks three of them, or at least was it two of them. There was a strikeout mixed in and wild pitches aplenty as well. Just a, an ugly, ugly performance by Kimbrell who comes in and goes walk, strike out, wild pitch, walk, single to tie the score, wild pitch, intentional walk to load the bases, which is why I was vacillating between two and three, another strikeout, and then a third wild pitch. Kimbrell cost them. That's the first time in his 10 games that he has legit cost them a game. So you know that one stings. Will he be given another chance in a high leverage one run situation to potentially cost them a game? As far as if Craig's the closer. Yeah, I don't don't think so anytime soon. I think that's Jeremy Jeffers' job. And David Ross has handled it very well. Was thrown out of that game last night. Was not there as Mike Napoli handled it. And I I wonder if Ross would have handled it in exactly the same way. I do not know. More coming up on that. And this Cubs trade as they acquire Jose Martinez from Tampa Bay. Yes, that Jose Martinez, the former tall, strapping, powerful Cardinals outfielder, who you may remember. Now a member of the Cubs for two players to be named later. Thank you to Marvin Freeman for being our guest today on Hit and Run. Thank you to Sean Anderson for doing his typical great job. Thanks to all of you for calling and listening. Check out my Twitter feed, at MattSpiegel670. There's a new good comp, bad comp, featuring Jose Abreu. It's fun. Check it out from me and Jason Benetti, the White Sox broadcaster. Zach Zayman is up next with Cubs pregame. Have a great day, everybody. Cubs and Reds next on 670 The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.